Darkness and light are themes prevalent in our liturgy of the seasons and liturgy of evening prayer. The days are shorter, the nights are longer, the sun sits low in the sky, the darkness is there when you wake up and when you return from work. The darkness is emblematic of all sorts of negative things. Deeds done in the dark aren't good, but evil. The darkness seems to be overcoming the light. There's so much wrong with this world. What chance does a people have dwelling in such darkness of attaining some enlightenment or salvation? From our first reading this evening, we heard, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is not something we earn, but something that he has given to us. It is best seen in the sending of his only begotten son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice of our sins. The second reading, appointed as the epistle for Christmas midnight, really should be heard in its entirety again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How fitting is this text for Christmas midnight. All was not calm nor bright for those shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. They were working in the darkness. And then the angelic commotion and interruption with stunning brightness, shattering the darkness with the announcement of the Savior's birth and the song of the multitude of the heavenly host. God had promised. God had announced his arrival. The Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And the shepherds received this message. Salvation is for all people. Such an announcement, such an incarnation of the Son of God, such a sacrifice of the Son of God, such a resurrection of the Son of God, this is what brings light and life to all people. The light of Christ still shines. He makes us his own, and we live lives in accord with his word. Imperfectly in the flesh, yes. However, the Lord's word trains us to renounce ungodliness, to spot the darkness and cast it out with his marvelous light. Not only the darkness outside of us, but the darkness within. We aren't people of the darkness, so we aren't overcome by worldly passions. Instead, we're self-controlled. We don't fo just follow our emotions, 
bellies, selfish whims, even follies. We don't follow our follies, right? Why? Is it because we're so great and it's just those others that are just so bad? No. It's because Jesus Christ has become man to save man. That does change things. It changes who you are. It changes what you want. Christ's light has shown the darkness for what it is. And we know we're headed toward his, light, his marvelous light. And yes, that can mean when we die and are then welcomed into paradise, head toward the light, right? It can also mean, of course, when Christ returns in glory. Jesus is always our blessed hope. Jesus is who gets us out of the bed in the morning. It's another day to welcome his light in our lives and to bring his light into other people's lives. It's another day to smash some darkness. It's another day to look forward to the Lord Jesus' great and glorious day and eternity. And all of this hope, confidence, peace, and joy, all of that at midnight in the middle of the darkness. The hymn of the day, which maybe should be called the hymn of the night, I suppose, right? For Christmas midnight is, is Martin Luther's famous Christmas hymn and carol, Vom Himmel hoch, right? From heaven above to earth I come. You've already sung about half of it, and you'll get to sing about the other half Uh, after the sermon, but we're going to chop off stanza 15. Stopping so abruptly at 14, I'm sure it's going to make you all very mad. That's why I did it, right? (laughs) No, we just need to give a little bit of heed to the season of Advent to make it ever so joyous then when Christmas does hit and that Christmas song of Gloria can be on your lips again. Okay, but that's enough technical bullet points of liturgy and things like that that only liturgical nerds like, right? From Heaven Above, Luther's Carol. What's it about? It's in quotations through stanza five. So somebody's speaking. Who? It seems to be a paraphrase, even an interpretation of the angel's message to the shepherds. But this time, the message is not just for the shepherds, but for every home. It's a heavenly message with all the earth's inhabitants as the recipients. And the shepherds were told that that night too, that it was great joy for all people. Well, what will heaven say? What's the heavenly message? And the angel gives the spoiler alert. Glad tidings of great joy I bring. We need God's messengers to give us a spoiler alert. It's almost like those preachers, every sermon starts out with grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father. And then they launch into law. Right? Well, we already told us the grace, mercy, and peace are ours, so, right? But we need that spoiler, spoiler alert. Otherwise, in our sins, 
we would have a heavenly message brought to us by an angel and we would run away terrified, hiding, hiding from any angelic messenger. Have you ever thought about how strange it is that heaven tells sinners, fear not? Shouldn't heaven say the opposite? Why say fear not? Good news, great joy for you, the likes of you, you get good news. No, it should be, oh, hell's a-coming, right? But instead, the heavenly messengers show up and say what? Whoa, 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 don't be afraid. Good news, glad tidings, get ready. And at that, you think the Besides the whole face planting out of fear thing in front of an angel, I mean, but then the conversation moves on. And our ears are just pricked, right? They just kind of go, hey, what? I don't deserve a message from heaven that says, don't be afraid. That's something different. Anytime we get a message like this, we should be doing a double take, disbelieving for joy. And that's what the rest of the hymn does. Verses 6 and following have responses from those who hear the angel's message. Now some see this as sort of the, the Lutheran Christmas pageant and play. The angel gets the first five verses and then you just kind of dole a verse out to a kiddo, right? The angel brings the message. Kids, are they dressed up as shepherds? Or... Are they just dressed like normal kids who are blessed tag-alongs with those shepherds? Either way, the glad tidings are for everybody and the glad tidings are not make-believe. Luther's text throughout, whether an angel paraphrase or a response to the angel's message, throughout the text of the hymn, the lyrics emphasize the lowly birth of the Savior the purpose of his birth, and his sympathy for us in our weaknesses. The lowly birth of the Savior. This noble guest, the one who created all things, the heavens, the earth, is of lowly birth, a little child, an infant, weak, poor, and small. This is how God sent his own dear son, This is the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Get the trumpets ready. Very God of very God. And yet, he chose to lay his head where cattle had recently been eating. Probably slobbering, right? He didn't ask for a golden cradle adorned with jewels. He was not laid on top of soft silk sheets. None of that, just rough hay and straw. For Luther, such lowliness tells us something about what God thinks about worldly pomp and riches. While we may sorrowfully ask, is this how we, humanity, welcomed God's Son? Wag our fingers at those of old. Couldn't we have done better? Now, while it may come from pious humility, 
God just kind of says, hey, 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 chill out, right? I mean, just relax. I don't need the show. Worldly honor, wealth, and might are weak and worthless in God's sight. The purpose of Christ's birth. One, the good news should be received with anticipation, buzz, and butterflies that we have when somebody in our just normal everyday life calls us on the phone or texts us and says, do you want to hear some good news? Or good news or bad news, right? You may say bad news first because I want the good news, right? How often do we just hear that word gospel or good news in a churchly setting and just say, yeah, yeah, I know all of it. But outside in the world we hear, hey, I've got some good news. We're like, oh, tell me more, right? Well, do you want to hear some good news? And we, we do, we do. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's glad tidings of great joy. Jesus is the joy of all the earth. Through him, the sinful world is blessed. Jesus brings joy. And this joy isn't just accomplished with a wave of a magic wand. It came at a price. As Luther wrote, He will himself your Savior be from all your sins to set you free. Tucked in the joy of Christmas is the cross. He came to share our misery in order to share his joy with us. The man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The Lord laid on him the iniquity, sin, guilt, shame of us all. Now, who can talk about Christmas without mentioning presents, right? Gifts. He will on you the gifts bestow, prepared by God for all below. Because of Jesus, you have a present to you from God. It's as the angel in the hymn says, that in his kingdom bright and fair, you may with us his glory share. Eternal life, the new creation, heaven evermore is God's gift to you. Another result of Christ's incarnation and the salvation he bestows is that he would dwell in our hearts. Our hearts are kind of like that rough, straw, cattle, slobber-filled, disgusting place, aren't they? Looking at your heart on its own merits, no Son of God should be there. But the Lord's presence can clean all that and make even that place the highest, most holy place by his presence alone. It's the Lord who makes the place holy after all, not the place that makes the Lord holy. It's that way with humans too, right? It's not our righteousness that makes us righteous, but it's the righteousness given to us by God that makes us righteous. It all sounds like God's presence, I suppose, too, under bread and wine. It's all grace alone rather than works righteousness. It sounds like proper sanctification worked by God. 
It's all what God does, not about what the eyes see. Again, he came to share my misery, to share his joy with me. Our Lord Jesus has sympathy with us in our weaknesses. He hears our sad and bitter cries. He knows your sins. He suffered for them all. He knows the pain of death. He grieved. He wept. He died. And he rose to bring true and lasting healing forevermore with the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting for those who believe in him. Jesus came to share my misery that he might share his joy with me. Since Christ has shown forth such a lowly birth and identified with us poor lowly sinners, he inspires joy and praise even amid the midnight darkness of this world. The Lord was born. The Lord was born for you. The Lord was born for the likes of you. And all this shows forth the Lord's love for you. And his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome him. Amen.